You are listening to episode 25. This episode is brought to you by my new course, How to Dominate LinkedIn with Your Personal Brand. Do you feel like when you're on the LinkedIn platform, you're not really sure how to actually navigate it? Does it feel clunky or confusing? And do you have all these connections, but you're not sure how to really leverage those connections and how to really show up virtually in presenting your personal brand? Well, that is what this course is about. Because since September, I've gone from 1,500 connections to about 8,000 connections on LinkedIn. Not only that, I've gotten clients through my content and people have actually reached out to me to speak for virtual speaking engagements. So if this is something that you would really like to capitalize on and take advantage of, and learn about, then this course is definitely for you. And you can learn about it more uh, in my show notes, and I will have the link to the waitlist just for you. And now on with the show. When I first heard of Jason, I saw a LinkedIn video where he was talking about making sales calls two weeks after 9-11. I was quite shocked. I was trying to figure out How did this guy pull this off and how was that even possible? And so I was intrigued and I watched a whole video and there he went on to talk about how investments work and how sales calling works and how to actually have those relationships and do a good job. And I knew I had to have him on the podcast. So not only did I learn so much about finance, we also talk about content creation and what the future is virtually for businesses. You will get so much out of this episode. I know I personally was thoroughly inspired. Welcome to the Okiki Podcast, where we make inspirational people known. Brought to you by your host, Fian O'Brien. Welcome to the Okiki podcast. And today I have Jason McElone. I'm so excited to have him on the podcast because I actually came across him on LinkedIn. He had a post about how we should not stop selling. And this was very early post COVID. Like basically, as soon as the lockdowns happened, he posted this and he was one of the few people out there that we're actually encouraging people to keep going about their business. So I was very intrigued. I really wanted him on the show. Uh, He is the CEO of Remote Sales, and that's a company where they help other companies sell remotely. So he is definitely equipped to equip you all who are listening to the podcast. And he has about 50,000 followers on LinkedIn and 35 million views. So thank you so much, Jason, for being part of this show. Thank you very much for having me, Fian. I appreciate it. 
Awesome. So do you mind giving our listeners a bit of background about who you are and how you actually got into sales? Yeah, I just celebrated my 50th birthday, uh, Monday, April the 13th. And so I've been around for a while, if you can't tell from all this gray here, (laughs) and I've been in sales my entire life, basically 30 years. Wow. So I graduated college in in 92 from St. Lawrence University, which is an upstate New York uh, school. I majored in economics. I started off out of the gate selling life insurance for MetLife door to door. It was a very tough but tremendous experience when you're that young going into someone's house saying, hey, the wife's about to lose you in the next few years. You need to buy some life insurance. So it was a, it was a rude awakening, but a tremendous experience as a young man. Then I got in my car with my sister and her soon-to-be husband uh, that she was dating at the time, and we drove to South Florida, and we had no idea where we were going. We stopped off at Daytona Beach uh, in in an old trailer that his grandmother had, but we didn't know where we were going to end up. I was collecting unemployment from the state of New York after leaving MetLife. We spent several months on the beach goofing around. Hmm. We eventually got down to uh, Pompano Beach, Florida got an apartment, and the second or third night that I was there, I went to a bar called the Baja Beach Club. I think it's closed down now. It was on Sunrise Boulevard in Fort Lauderdale. And I met this guy, and he was very flamboyant, had a you know silk shirt, Rolex watch. And <laughs> I was goofing around with some girls, and he's like, man, you got a pretty good game. What do you do? And I said, well, I just moved here from New York. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he says, I, I'd like to you know, hire you. You should be a stockbroker. You've got a gift to give. So I got my license. I worked at the 18th floor of the Bank of America building in downtown Fort Lauderdale. And within just a few months, I was making three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year in my early to mid twenties. And that touched off a 14 year career uh, of tremendous highs and, and devastating lows. I actually, and I've talked about this before, I lost everything in the crash of 2008. I saw the housing crash coming in South Florida, but I loaded up on what's called QQQ options, which are options on the NASDAQ 100. But I really needed to have futures because I lost all the time value and basically went bust with myself and about 40 clients and had a run on the bank, sold my house in Florida, built another one in Georgia. And then within a year, I was actually hawking some of my watches at a local Shell gas station that I paid 15 grand for, Breitling Super Avengers, and I was selling them for 3,000 bucks a piece just to get by. And I ended up on a forklift for a factory not too far from where I live right now um, in a place called Cumming, Georgia, for nine bucks an hour. So try to imagine for you and your audience making millions, and I'm talking millions in my 20s and early 30s, and then being right on the crash, but wrong on the investment choice that I took, and then losing everything to the point of hanging out at a gas station, waiting for a guy that sold stuff on eBay to give me 30 cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. And then I was at a factory, I'll never forget it, for nine bucks an hour, I was uh, making craftsman wrenches and loading them onto pallets into, into trucks. Wow. Totally devastated, no self-esteem. My uh, fiance left me. I don't blame her because it got really bad. I mean, royal crash and burn bad. My father 
rest his soul, he's in heaven now, but he was working with me. And, you know, Friday night for us was get a six pack of ice house beer after getting off the midnight shift and watch TV until four o'clock in the morning. And just a few years prior to that, I was big pimping in South Florida. So Mm -hmm. at the time, Fian, it was was the worst thing that ever happened to me. But in hindsight, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Hmm. Because I, and I'll wrap this story up in a second here, I learned the value of a dollar, um, that it's not about the cars and the clothes and the watches and the bling. It's about having enough money so you can pay your bills and spend your life doing what you love. And what you love needs to be in service of others. And that's what I'm trying to do now. And I think you saw one of my videos, Never Stop Selling, recently, is I'm giving away everything I've learned. There's no gated content with Jason. I don't say, give me your email address and I'll tell you how to cold call or a video that I did today on how to increase voicemail response rates by 700%. I just give it all away. Hmm. And I trust that the universe, that God is going to bless me with clients and the ability to serve others. And ever since I made that shift, I want to say two or three years ago, but especially now in the middle of COVID-19, I've really cranked up the content. It's like the more you give away, as you probably know, the more that you get back. Wow. That is so, that's just so fascinating to hear. Yeah. And I love the transparency and honesty of the journey because, you know, it's really interesting hearing your story and you got me curious about Wolf of Wall Street. So I had to look up his bio and kind of similar, right? Like um, in that age, just so young and then also making that much money, like it can really like blow you up in such a way. And so like, it's interesting having to actually process that because even though you're given all that do you have the wisdom and the leadership skills to handle it and it seems like that's something that you've developed over the years I do want to talk about even this um, shift that you've made now even being a leader um, even on the platform because like like you have in your bio you do have a lot of followers and 35 million views so when you made that shift um, how yeah, how long did it take for you to build that kind of audience that trusted you so much with that content that you were giving away? Yeah, great question. I didn't get involved in LinkedIn until 2017, right after Microsoft took them over. You know, I had 14 years experience. I had owned a ton of Microsoft at times throughout my career. I knew, well, they're not spending, I think it was a billion dollars at the time. It's worth far more than that now. Yeah unless they had big plans. And LinkedIn is still in its infancy. Facebook is in the seventh inning stretch of a nine inning game. LinkedIn, in my opinion, is in the second inning. And the new CEO you may have seen a couple of months ago is the head of product. What people are gonna see, and I'm gonna actually talk about some of this on Wednesday in a video I'm doing, in particular with the mobile app is gonna blow them away. We're gonna see augmented reality. We're gonna see the ability to make phone calls, video calls, Basically, a lot of the stuff that you already see on Facebook is coming to LinkedIn, but it's going to be in ways that people have never even dreamed possible. Uh, And I'm super uh, pumped about that. So I started to invest an hour a day, uh, mostly in the beginning, engaging with other people's content. You can still build a large following of 10 or 15,000 
just investing an hour or two a day in engaging in other people's content. But if you really want to go to the next level, you got to be a one, among the 1% who create. You know, social media has got an interesting dynamic that 90% lurk. You know, for example, 54% of LinkedIn hasn't even logged in for more than three months. Yeah. So, so half of the largest professional network in the planet is totally checked out, especially during COVID-19. Wow. Um, 9% are heavily engaged. They call them the power users and thank God for them because if they weren't engaging in our content, there would be no social media. And then 1% create. And so my message continues to be, um, for everyone watching, you don't have to be the best looking in the world. I'm certainly not. You just have to talk about what you care about. People ask me, what's personal branding? It's talk about what you care about. It rhymes and it works because what you care about tends to be why you're here. And for me, it's sales. It's remote work. I've recently got involved in a new channel on, on YouTube I just launched. We just hit 1,000 subs in, in, in a month. Wow. And I was talking about um, EIDL and PPP loans, which a lot of small business owners, of which I'm one, are in the process of trying to get. So if you're just willing, even when you're scared, I remember when I did my first video, I sat in a parking lot of a Dunkin' Donuts. I almost threw up my coffee and my yeah. donuts because I was so nervous. And I, you know, I'm this big, tough guy. And I was like, man, I, I don't know, because here's what goes through your mind. What are my clients going to think if they see this? Mm -hmm. What's my boss going to think? Is he or she going to approve of what I'm about to say? What are my colleagues going to do? Are they going to judge me? And of course, some of them will. Some are going to stab you in the back. Most are going to support you. There's a huge amount of pressure. Uh, so when you get in front of the camera as a new content creator, just tell everybody the truth. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm nervous. This is the first time I've ever gotten in front of a camera before. Mm -hmm. So bear with me and you'll find that people rally around you mm -hmm. because they know how tough it is. Only 1% manage to do it. And then once you get into the thick of it, the pressure of performing becomes the primary obstacle. Because as you probably know, most of us have 20 ideas, but do you have 200? Do you have 2000? Can yeah. you keep coming back every single day with something new to keep the audience engaged. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I tried to portray in the video that you saw, Never Stop Selling, mm -hmm. is in a time of crisis like this, when I was on Wall Street, for example, during 9-11, I talked about in another video how I was doing shots of whiskey that morning because I was scared to death. Mm -hmm. I was about to see, and I did, my entire book of business get cut in half instantly. Yes. And I think they had the market closed for four or five days, if I'm not mistaken. But when it eventually reopened, eight years of work was cut in half, just like that. Mm -hmm. But I knew that I had to get on the phone with a little bit of uh, liquid courage and tell my clients, look, it's hitting the fan. Normally, when you get a big drop like that, you get what's called margin call selling because people are borrowing money on, on margin. You wait three days and then you start buying everything in sight. We did that. We ended up making a fortune in, in less than a week, and I should have hung on to it because it quadrupled after I sold it. But the point is, when you have crisis like that or 2008, mm -hmm. when everyone's scared, when you've got a lockdown as we do right now, I mean, this is, this is the best time in my life to be creating content for all you that are watching. 
Everyone's at home. Social media is going through the roof. Facebook just announced uh, user engagements at an all-time high. And as I said, they're a mature um, platform. The reason is everyone's at home. They may have kids in the other room. They can't go outside or they may be in a hot spot like New York City. So they're, they're glued to their cell phone. And so if you'll write, you'll podcast, even as a guest, which is what I do, or you get on video in particular, you're going to build a brand because people are going to remember, and this is the last point that I'll make on, on this particular idea. When the budgets come back in, in the next month or two, I guarantee if you've not been as a salesperson or even as a marketing professional, if you've not been out there mixing it up, offering value, creating content, you're going to the back of the line when the budgets are available. They're not going to give salespeople that didn't show up any money. Hmm. It's going to be the guy or the gal that was out there like this saying, hey, we're concerned. I've got parents or I've got small children. My business, I'm not ashamed to admit, I'm in the remote work business. The Hmm. next 20 years of my life should be through the roof, but no one's got any money to spend. I'm not ashamed to tell people that. Hmm. I'm not ashamed to tell people that I applied for the EIDL grant. Mm-hmm. There's no money coming in right now. Come out and tell people the truth, right? The yeah. truth. The yeah. truth will set you free. And as you're doing that, when things settle down as they will in June and July, the prospect the buyers are going to remember. Fian, Jason, Bob, Sarah, they were on the front lines. They kept me educated and they kept me entertained during the lockdown. Mm-hmm. And those are the type of people that I want to do business with. That's very, very insightful and also hopeful information because I think that the space you're in, that's kind of how you were like, I guess, trained to think, right? Like looking at the market, what's going to happen? Let's analyze it. And I think you're right. I think in the panic of a pandemic, all people are thinking about is right now and it's kind of like fight or flight mode. So a lot of times they, they don't really know how are we moving forward? What are we going to do? And so I think you bringing that logic to how to handle business throughout something like this is is quite helpful during this time. And I actually want to go back to that and a point that um, I believe that you can kind of bring up, and that is remote selling, um, work from home, because one of the things I wanted to go back to is that story you had of 9-11. And how (laughs) did you have the courage to be making these sales calls like within a short amount of time from that major event. And so I want people to hear a little bit about that story and also um, your journey to even creating your own company, if that ties into that. I would love to hear that as well. Yeah. Um, As I mentioned, I started my sales career in 92 uh, as an insurance salesman. By 94, I was in South Florida as a broker. And if you can remember back that far, some folks that are watching may not even have been born or they were very young. We did have a number of terror attacks. We had something in 1997 called the long-term capital crisis where it was basically foreign banks, et cetera, had big problems. They were illiquid and the markets crashed. So up until 9-11, I had some experience with when you're a fan, you need to come out in front. You need to admit that, hey, I don't have an answer. That's another thing that salespeople and anyone for that matter should should take into account is it's okay to say, I don't know what's going on. 
All I know is a plane just went into the building as I remember the conversation during 9-11. I don't know if it's a terror attack. I don't know if it's the aliens are coming to get us. We don't know the answer to that. But the worst thing you can do when the phones lighten up is hide under the desk. So that I can still remember the first couple hours of, of saying, I don't know what's going on. I'm going to find out. I've got my you know ear, finger on the pulse, so to speak. We eventually found out it was it was a terror attack. We can debate for 14 years as to whose fault it was or who was behind it. That doesn't matter. All I knew at that point was there was going to be a major adjustment in the market short term. Mm-hmm. But even then, I knew that since 1900, we've had 37 bear markets. A bear market's when the market goes down 20% or more. Every, you know, the crash in 1929. Um, we had the Vietnam War. We had the oil embargoes of the 70s. We had the 87 crash where we went down almost 25% a day. Every single crash, whether it was prolonged or instant, eventually finds a bottom and recovers to new all-time highs. And I knew that was going to be the case with 9-11. And so fast forward to 2020, if I could, I did a number of videos last month where I was all but screaming in a number of them, don't sell stocks. Mm. The reason I was so adamant is not because we've had 37 bear markets in 120 years and we've recovered from every single one. In this particular case, recall we had the Dow 30,000. We had 12-year highs in new housing starts. We had record low 3.5% unemployment. And then here comes a health scare that knocks us right on our I knew the Fed was going to come to the rescue with money. I never in my wildest dream saw $8 trillion. It was $2 trillion in 2008 in the TARP bailout. This is four times the size. Mm. So I wrote yesterday that we just touched off the biggest bull market in human history mm. as we speak. Wow. And some people think, what, you know, what tinfoil hat does Jason have? I strongly believe, and I'm going to articulate in a number of videos real soon, that the market's going to go from around 23,000 where it is now to 100,000 over the next 15 years. It's largely because of demographics and artificial intelligence. You throw in 8 trillion, which is four times the size of 08 with zero rates. And this market, once we get beyond you know, the unemployment, which is going to drag out, the benefits are until October. You're going to have a lot of people that don't want to go back to work until those run out. So I think next year when they come out with $2 trillion infrastructure plan, this is going to be just like post 9-11. This is just going to be just like post 2009 low, where you've got massive liquidity. You've got the demographics of millennials combined with artificial intelligence, which is just going to start to be felt. And we're going to see the biggest boom in the history of humankind. And if I went you know, to downtown Atlanta right now where I live, and I started saying that on the street corner with a blowhorn, they'd say, put this guy in a straitjacket, get him out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're on lockdown. We're collecting unemployment. We don't have any hope whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But to all my audience out there, you got to get in front of the camera right now. This is the beginning of the biggest boom in human history. And if you don't have the guts, for lack of a better word, to mm-hmm. just do it get started. Talk about what you care about. That's all you got to do, Fian, and the rest will take care of itself. Wow. 
That's that's some awesome information. I can't wait to hear the feedback on just those points you just made, right? Because we are preparing now. And I totally agree with you. Um, creating content now for the future. Um, at, like Jason knows, I'm also a content creator. And in some ways, we've seen a bit, even in some ways, um, some of the content even has like less views because People are so into the news about COVID, but I was encouraging people like you to keep posting because everyone's on the internet in a way that's never happened before. So, I mean, at worst, like they're just going to see you all the time and remember you (laughs) after all this is over. But it's been really cool because I have, I've gotten messages from people now that I haven't gotten before this. So I, I'm really curious based on that prediction you just made, like what is to come? Like that is for me as a business owner, I'm sure the people listening will find that very encouraging and exciting that in spite of this very traumatic period, there is something amazing to come for us. So yeah. And if I could make, if I could make one more point on that, yes, we've reached what I call peak face to face. In other words, the amount of planes, trains, and automobiles that we're going to get on has peaked per capita. We are moving now into a virtual world. COVID has just accelerated that move. You're going to see a lot of events that were happening in Vegas, as an example. 20 to 30% are going to disappear, and they're going to go virtual. Because a lot of people are discovering that, gee, I can sit in my house with my cup of coffee or even a beer, if that's my thing, and I can participate in a virtual summit. I can get up and walk away if I want to. I can go eat the breakfast or the lunch that I want, not what they're serving at the event. And I don't have to go sit in traffic for hours to get to the airport uh, in order to go and see a show that I may or may not enjoy. Mm -hmm. So the thing that everyone has to remember is if this is true, and we're going to see more and more of Zoom and virtual and augmented reality, it's never changed in 15 years they've been measuring. 90% lurk, 9% engage. 1% create. So I don't care what you look like or what you sound like. If you're part of the 1% that is going to get in front of the camera, do a podcast like this or write or all the above, you've got it made. You've got it made for the rest of your life because there's going to be more and more people hanging out on their phone, not going to the airport, not sitting in traffic for 90 minutes or more a day. They're going to be glued to that phone and or their laptop. And if you're part of the 1% that's educating and entertaining, as we're trying to do, that's what it's all about. You got to educate, you got to you know, solve a problem, and you got to be somewhat entertaining in your delivery. Mm-hmm. And if you have that in this virtual world that we're now morphing into at light speed, you're going to have companies, recruiters, et cetera, chasing you nonstop. Mm-hmm. Because a few years from now, the robots are going to show up, but they're all going to be IQ. Math, science, analytics. Yeah. We are EQ, emotional intelligence. So if you can get in front of a camera or do a podcast, you know, with creativity and compassion and empathy and enthusiasm, Hmm. there's going to be a a line out the door of people that want to hire you because 99% won't do it. Hmm. Wow. Very powerful statement. And, huh. I just, sorry, I'm just processing that. (laughs) We have to edit some of that out because that's really powerful and it's true. So it's always been that way because I'm fairly new to the scene. 
But I knew there's the 1% on LinkedIn. I, I've always known that. And that's why I jumped in because I'm like, I like creating content. If no one's doing it, like I might as well just put myself out there. What can I lose? And uh, like you're saying, opportunities have come because of that. And um, even to go back to what you said before, I LinkedIn was the only platform I was actually nervous for posting content on because I was, I'm younger. I'm like, everyone on here has more experience. Will they even take me seriously? But like you're saying, I'm really surprised who's actually reached out to me, given me like speaking opportunities, given me like work opportunities, just because I'm putting myself out there, like you said. And so I do think it's really important and it's been something I'm preaching, but it's definitely exciting to hear someone else who has so much experience also preaching that. And you've actually seen how the market has gone and you can say, this is how things are going, guys. Like you need to take this seriously. So yeah, I, it, it, yeah. One, one, one of the things that you just reminded me of, Yeah. the biggest question I often get is, well, how much money are you making? Because I'm actually close to 50 million views now because of COVID. Mm-hmm. I've done 16 videos in, in a month and a half, and it's millions and millions more in just a short period of time. Yeah, but how much money are you making, Jason? The answer in the middle of COVID, zero. And the reason for that is not only that budgets are on lockdown, I'm not trying to monetize right now. I'm paying it forward. So I strongly encourage, when we say 1%, that's not an ego thing. That's not the top 1% living on the house on the hill. That is simply saying that for 15 years that they've been measuring this, and you can find it on the internet if you want to look it up, it's called the 90-9-1 lurker rule. And they redo the study every year. 90% are checked out. They may watch what I'm saying once in a while, but they do not engage. Half of LinkedIn, again, is not logged in for 90 days. 9% are all over it. As soon as I put something out or you put something out, boom, there they are. And if it's not for them, we have no social media. And then 1% create. And all you got to do is go to YouTube. You'll see millions of abandoned channels. You'll see people that do three or four videos and they just disappear. Is it the haters? Maybe, but the biggest thing is the pressure to perform. Mm. You got to come up with ideas all the time. But again, if you're willing to push the money down the road and just keep giving and giving of your success and especially your failure, your tips, your tricks, even if you're young, do you, I, I cannot stress this enough. If you're in your early 20s and you've got what they call the imposter syndrome, right? How dare I think that I'm an expert? Look at Jason. He's grayish. He's been around for 30 years. I can't compete against him. Yes, you can. Because all these companies that I, like I just said, if we're going down the road into a virtual reality type environment, Mm -hmm. there are going to be hiring managers that are scouring LinkedIn, looking for talent like you. I need 20-somethings millennials, Gen Xers, that can get in front of the camera. They'll get better over time. I just need the 1% that's willing to do it. Mm. And if you'll do it without asking for the money, no sales ask at all. Here's what I know about X. Here's what I just learned as a millennial in the middle of COVID-19. I guarantee that builds a brand. And there's going to be recruiters and CEOs like me that say, this fiend girl, I need to get her in here right now because we're going virtual and I can't get any of my people to get in front of the camera. She looks like a natural. Bingo. 
that's that's the opportunity that we have right now. That's awesome. No, really good information and very encouraging. Um, our audience will definitely get a lot of value from that. And I also want to ask you now, because you made this whole move from New York and that stock scene to <laughs> now having remote sales, and that is your company. So what was the journey to creating that? And how have you managed that differently, I guess, based on the lessons you've learned in your past? Now, how are you managing that? And um, how has that been beneficial to you uh, in spite of COVID and looking onwards as well? Yeah. Um, after spending a few months in Daytona Beach in the early 90s goofing around, I eventually uh, got to Pompano where I had an apartment for a number of years. My sister moved back to Maryland, started a family. And in August of 2000, I built this beautiful house in Delray Beach. And I had an office, which is a converted bedroom, right overlooking my pool. I had a rock waterfall, palm trees. It was paradise, but it was also my office. Mm. And for seven years, literally, you know, I know it's a family show, but I traded stocks in my underwear for seven years. So I'd call my clients at 9, 30, 10 o'clock in the morning. We'd trade mostly tech stocks. By noon, I was done. I'd go get on my swimming trunks. I'd go out the sliding glass door. I'd float around in the pool for a couple hours, usually with a drink. And then I'd go play tennis with my buddy, Anthony. Mm. And it was at that time, I fell in love with not just trading and making money and the lifestyle, but working from home. Mm. So fast forward to 2019, after I'd been at my last firm for 12 years, I'd basically done everything I could do in building a lead gen operation very successful company driving seven billion a year in revenue for their clients, but I was burned out and I wanted something new. So as I was sitting right back there, I don't know if you can see it, but that's my living room past the kitchen. About a week after I quit, I said, now what? And as I was sitting in my favorite spot on the couch back there, I started thinking about my time in South Florida, floating around in the pool, trading stocks in my underwear, done at noon, playing tennis with my buddy, going out at night. And this went on and on and on for many, many years. And I said, man, I really love remote work. Mm -hmm. And then I said to myself, and yeah, you've been in sales your whole life. Bingo, the light goes off. I, I ran to register.com where I had a number of domains. I typed it in and it said for sale, 10 grand. True story. I said, oh my God, I ain't got 10 grand. I just left my job. I ended up having to use my 401k to pay my bills like everybody else that starts a business. Yeah, yeah. And I mulled it over for about a week. And then there's a guy named Eddie. If you're out there watching, buddy, how are you? He lives in Miami. He owned uh, remotesales.com. And I tried to haggle him down. He wouldn't budge an inch. Wow. <laughs> and I kept thinking, it's a perfect mix, remote and sales, remote and sales. This is your life, Jason. I ended up giving him the 10000 a couple of months after that, I bought remoteonline.com, got a heck of a deal. That's the job board that we own attached to remote sales. And the rest is history. So it was my youthful experience in Florida, the love for remote work, my passion for sales. It came together right behind me about a week after I quit my last job a little over a year ago. Hmm. That is so cool. And I guess like a final question for you, um, what have you valued the most 
being able to run this remote sales, run your business, and just the role that you now have with what you're doing? I truly believe, and some of my haters will think this is Jason's ego piping up. I'm okay with that. I believe that I've been chosen for this moment hmm. from the standpoint that the whole world is going remote. There's no question about it. The future of work is from the home. Some will travel from one Airbnb to another. There are already companies that offer that. But the days of you know Barney Rubble and get in the family car and drive two hours are coming to an end and quickly. We've seen the benefits to the environment. The roads are not as congested. People have a better work-life balance. I could go on for days. But the point is, I get up every morning and I have this knowing feeling that this is what I was born to do. I had to go bust in 2008. I had to have the almighty yank away all the stuff that I was worshiping. I used to have some wicked panic attacks back then. I haven't had panic attacks in years now because even though I have one house, I have one car, not four cars. I have no boats, no toys. I just have a love of people solving problems and creating content now. Mm -hmm. So as the world goes virtual, there's no question in my mind that I'm one of many, of course, that are going to help lead the way. Mm. And what everyone's going to discover, if we want to finish with this message, is 80% of your day will be exactly the same. Anyone who's ever worked at home knows when it's heads down, it's heads down. It's no different than when you're at the office. At some point, you got to tell your buddy, hey, get out of here. I got to make some calls. Yeah. So other than the commute and the office politics, water coolers, it's the same. <laughs> it's, we still got to put our head down and make some calls. I got to make some, I got to send out email. I got to create content. So what everyone is now starting to realize is, okay, if I get rid of the commute, not only is that hassle gone, but it's better for the environment cleaner air and water, but I also get rid of people knocking on my door when I need to be making phone calls as a salesperson. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm in my corner of the house. Hopefully, you know, the pets and or the kids know not to bother you when mommy or daddy's working, but it then becomes the same. And then everyone discovers, gee, you mean I could go out the back door right there and go knock on Steve's door and have a cup of coffee? Yeah. As long as you come back and play by the rules and you produce, knock yourself out. So everyone's now getting a taste of this flexibility. Hey, I can go for an afternoon run as long as I'm back and I make my calls. I send out my email. I respond to my clients' needs. There's the whole flexible work-life balance. And I think it's going to evolve, and I'm going to talk about this endlessly, to where we're only working two or three days a week by the end of this decade. AI, the robots, the machines will do a lot of the heavy lifting with math, science, analytics, et cetera. And it's going to be more about Fian, Jason, and everyone watching, doing what you love. What do you love to do outside of work? You know, you want to go plant a garden, go plant a garden. You want to be a, a community advocate, do that. You want to be a, a full-time member of your church, fine. The machines are going to help you get your job done in 20 hours, not 40 yeah. plus so it's, it's like I said in the middle of the video, we are just beginning the greatest run in human history, and it's right now in the middle of COVID-19. So I appreciate you having me here, and 
I hope everybody got something out of this. That's amazing. Thanks so much, Jason. I just wanted to give you one last chance to let our audience know if you have anything coming up that you'd really like them to get into. Yeah, um, two things. RemoteSales.com, you go there, you're going to find out that we help you sell remotely. So if you're a C-suite executive like myself and you need to either fix the team you've got or build out a virtual sales team, you reach out to me. And our biggest audience are the job seekers. We've had millions of people, as you know, get laid off. Mm-hmm. Go to remoteonline.com. It's 100% free. I've never charged a job seeker a dime, and I never will. So you go there, you sign up. We've got this big deal with ZipRecruiter. There's over 4,000 jobs there. You load your resume. You can load a video, your Twitter feed. And if you apply for 10 or 15 jobs, Fian, in my opinion, you're going to get one that you love. And if you have any questions... You just reach out to me and I'll do whatever I can to help you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jason. I'll be sure to put all of your uh, following information for your socials in the description. I really appreciate this interview. I personally learned a lot and I thank you so much for your time that you gave us today. Thank you so much, Vian. I appreciate it.